Last week I had a very satisfying, fulfilling experience. I took down my fence. And it was so uh, beautiful because it only required one tool, a sledgehammer. And I am really proficient at sledgehammering because the fence was just a bunch of posts and eight-foot fence panels. And so all I had to do was just knock the, the panels off and then knock the post around and pull the post up out of the ground. And, you know, as a pastor, you don't get a lot of satisfying experiences that you have a beginning and a definite end. You have a beginning and no end in my job. And so at the end, I just sat there chest out like, awesome. You know, and every guy knows that feeling. You know, you just get to tear something up and it's okay. Doesn't have to look good. And, and it was so good because, as, as I've said many times, in my toolbox are really just two tools. A hammer and a cell phone. Because if you ask me to help you on something, if a hammer doesn't fix your problem, then I need to call somebody. I have no skill to operate anything except for a hammer. And so that's why this experience was so so fun. But, you know, it's at, at a different point in my life, I didn't realize I had these kind of constructural uh, disabilities. And so I thought one time, not in this house that I'm currently living in, in another house, I would put up a fence. And I thought, you know, how hard can it be? Because it's the same thing. It's these posts and these panels. They basically make the thing for you. All you have to do is just stick the fence up on the posts. And I wasn't trying to turn a corner. I was trying to make a gate. All I was trying to do is make a straight line with a fence on one side of my yard. And I thought, you know, this is the worst thing you can say is how hard is it going to be? So I, I, I put out a plumb line. I make sure I'm going to have a straight fence. I, I sink these posts in that are eight feet apart. I wait a day for the cement to harden. I come back out and I have these eight-foot panels. I put little blocks on the bottom of them so I can sort of lean the panel up and tack the panel on. And I think, this is going to be perfect. So I put my first panel on and I tacked it up on every side to make sure it was all straight. It looked beautiful. I measured it to make sure it was just where it needed to be on the post. And and I was just a quarter of an inch off. And I was like, yes, a quarter of an inch. How could that possibly happen? Who could do better than this? I mean, a quarter of an inch on an eight-foot panel, this is awesome. So I was celebrating. I was doing this little Snoopy dance in the backyard of my house. And I get the next eight-foot panel. And I put it on. Well, and, I mean, it's a quarter of an inch off on one side, but that's no big deal. And I start tacking it up. And as I tack up the next panel, it's like four or five inches off. Be- because the first panel was a quarter of an inch off, it-, it made this second panel even a little bit higher. So my fence was sort of having an upward trajectory. And so I thought, mm, this, this, I mean, I can put some dirt there and... But this is going in the wrong direction, right? So I, I think about, well, if the third, if I put this third panel up, it's now three or four inches off. How much further off is this end going to be? And I don't know. I, I did some quick calculations, and I thought after eight panels, my, my fence is going to be 30 feet in the air. And I thought, I'm, I'm trying to block out the neighbor, not the sky. 
So you know what I had to do? I had to go back to the, the foundational panel. It had to be just right. Because every other panel was getting its plumb line, was getting its trajectory from the, the foundational panel. And so that true story was the story I told, I've told now 15 times. Because 14 years ago, I told it for the very first time, and here we are at the end of 14, beginning year 15. It's part of my Founder's Day sermon. My son's here. He could probably give the sermon. I could probably just have a heart attack or whatever, and he could just say, I can just pick right up. I've heard it 15 times. And so 14 years ago, we came, and Zachary was 10, Morgan was 8. I was 14, I think. I mean, it was crazy. And, uh, you know, we got in our little, two little Hondas, and we got, remember, we got all the toys in, every toy we had, diapers we had. Uh, we had, we didn't, we had a, didn't have a way to have an offering, so, hey, go back in, get the bread basket. Still got crumbs in it. You know, we're shaking it out on the highway, so we're coming to church. And it would just seem crazy. The first song, you know, me singing solo, it was just an, an amazing. At Temple Baptist, maybe 30, 40 people there. And so it's really fun to come back and, and revisit this every year. And the reason I've decided to do it this way is, because we want to always come back and just remember the, the foundation of the church. And it came from these passages in Joshua because Joshua is founding the nation. He's bringing these slaves who had been in Egypt and now been wandering for 40 years. He's bringing them across the River Jordan, which is the boundary from Jordan into Israel. He's bringing them into Israel and he's going to be the general. He's going to be the leader that founds this nation. And in these first few chapters, God provides some foundational principles that he wants this group of people, and I believe every group of people, of his people, to follow after. And so that's what we do. We do this every year. Some of you have heard it. How many have heard it more than three or four times? So you can go to sleep. I mean, you're okay. The rest of you pay attention. But these foundational principles were, were what we were about and what we want to remember we're about. Because every year that passes, there's, there's always more pressure. Sometimes the pressure comes from the inside. Frequently the pressure comes from the outside to say, hey, hey, that was good back then, but let's just move that a quarter of an inch. Let's just change that. It won't be a big deal. But, but you know and I know. That the next generation, if it starts a quarter of an inch off, the next generation way off. And of course, I think we, most of us see or feel that we are way off as a church, as a whole, because we, we haven't gotten this foundation right. So these were the, there are a lot of principles you could pick up. These were the three that I thought were important for us. First, God's chosen leadership. We see this in Joshua. The importance. Second, the importance of God's word. And third, the importance of courage, God's leadership, God's word, and courage. So God's leadership. You know, God can can choose and does choose to uh, make himself known in a number of different ways. We read in the Psalms that the heavens declare. What do they declare? They declare the glory of God. So you, when you look out in nature, you see something about God. But one of his primary ways of declaring his name, de- declaring his greatness, comes through leaders. 
Think of, of Adam and Adam and Eve in the garden. They're, they're made in the image of God. They're made to reflect God. So when people or things, creation, see them, they see something of the image of God. And specifically, Adam was given leadership in the garden. And so what happened is when Satan introduced questions or Satan introduced suspicions about God, did, you know, did God really say? It was Adam's job to to not just defend his wife, but defend the name of God. Anything, anyone coming in and casting some kind of shadow on God and his word, that his leader was supposed to come in and be a shield and say, no, that's not true. Let me Let me tell you what the truth is. But Adam didn't do that, sadly. God comes back into the garden and says... Adam, where are you? Adam, Adam, what did you allow to happen? Adam, why did you rescue your wife? I mean, you were standing right by. And most importantly, Adam, why didn't you protect my name? You and I have this this locked relationship and and someone came in with a different voice and and you didn't protect who I am you didn't protect my name so really the the great failure in the garden was a failure of leadership Moses said this about Moses the people remember the day of Moses when God caused his glorious arm to go out at the right hand of Moses God divided the waters. Remember this at the Red Sea? He divided the waters. Now, I would just, if I just pause right there and ask you, he divided the waters for what? Most of us would say, including myself, to get the people out of Egypt and and towards the promised land. But that's not what Isaiah is remembering. God divided the waters to make for himself an everlasting name. See, this whole salvation of these people, is they're not the main thing. The main thing is God. And so whatever we're doing, whatever God's up to, however he may be using Moses, he, Moses is this strong leader. It's like God's right arm is working through Moses, this, this place of power. But it's not for Moses. It's not even to rescue the people. It's to make God's name great. So through godly leadership, God plans on Making his name great. Chapter 4, Joshua, we just read it, verse 24. Look with me. Uh, These people had now come across, not the Red Sea, but the the Jordan, remember? And uh, Moses had, or Joshua had sent one person from every tribe to get a stone out of the middle of the creek. They're going to take the stone, and at this little town called Gilgal, they're going to make a little altar. It's called an Ebenezer. It's a stone of remembrance. It's a marker. And what is it marking? Is it marking that these people came into the promised land? Well, yes, but that's not what it's primarily marking. Look at verse 24, chapter 4, 24. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that that you crossed the Jordan River. No. That you came into the promised land. See, it's not about you at all. What does he say? That, that they may know the hand of the Lord is mighty. 
and that they may fear the Lord your God forever. The whole movement of these people in a miraculous way was meant to point to God, not towards themselves. And so godly leadership comes in, and, and, and if it's done well, it's not pointing towards itself. It's always pointing people to see God. Ravi Zacharias makes this ob- observation about godly leadership. There are no bona fide mass movements. just looks that way. At the center of the column is a man or a woman who knows their God and where their God is going. There's no abstract movement moving ahead. There are individuals moving ahead for the cause of Christ because they know where Christ is moving forward. There's no abstract movement. There's always somebody in any situation, a leader at the center of the column that's moving forward and people are moving forward in that direction. And the reason why this is so critical for us and has an increasing need to be critical is that it's been 14 years. And Lord willing, it'll be another 14 that I'll be here and see seniors graduate. But at some point, I'm going to leave the center of the column. And it's critical. Like Joshua replacing Moses, it's critical that the person who takes this centerpiece is somebody who is about God's name, not their own name. It has to be that way. We have to replace me and the person after me and the person after me and the person after me forever who's at the center of the column and wants to week after week say to you, I want you to know how great God is. I don't want you to know anything about me that doesn't tell you something great about God. Because it's not ever going to be about me. It's not ever going to be about a group of people. It's always going to be about God. And so as members of Christ Community Church, we, we all share in a responsibility of putting the right man in this, in this column. Somebody that's concerned about God's name. Now we see two characteristics here about Joshua, particularly as the leader. First of all, Joshua 1.1, the Lord spoke to Joshua. The, the shepherd of the church, and I, I would say not just me here, but the elders as well, their primary concern is to listen to God and, and lead from his word. That's their primary concern. Listen to God's word and lead from his word. Which means this, and this is important to hear as a member, our relationship to God and his word is more important than our relationship to you. We're not trying to minimize the importance of our shepherding because we're shepherding you, but we are trying to prioritize. Does that make sense? Because if you become the mainstay, then we're in trouble. And if you think I'm looking at you, well, maybe I am, but maybe I'm not. But, but it's not good if I'm that. It's not good if you're that. What we all are saying together, right, is we want to hear from the Lord. That's what we're here for. We're not really here to hear from Paul Phillips. We're not really here to hear Internet stories. We're really here to hear from the Lord. And so our responsibility is to, to have the Lord speak. And we believe the Lord has spoken through the, the person and work of Christ, the Word of God, and the work of the Holy Spirit. So we're here to hear... 
And we don't want a leader who's following the mood of the congregation. We don't want a, a leader who's following the mood of the culture. Please no. We don't want a leader who's following his own mood. We need somebody here who understands that, that God is the single audience. And refuses to move forward without him. This means this listening to the Lord and following after him, particularly in our day, day means not being distracted by novelty or popularity. These are huge gravitational pulls on every church, not just ours, from the culture, from popularity, from novelty. I love this illustration. I, I can never find one better, so I use it every year. Uh, this show, reality TV show, reality TV, that's an oxymoron. But the show was going to be called Pulpit Masters. And here was the little advertisement for Pulpit Masters. Could you be America's next inspired leader? <laughs> to make a positive difference in millions of people's lives? Are you imbued with the fire and passion of God? Do you understand the power of the spoken word? We are looking for someone who can wow the pants off the audience. <laughs> and you had three minutes to do it. So we're not trying to wow your pants off. We would all prefer you keep your pants on here today. And the reason we want you to keep your pants on, well, there's many. But the, the main reason... Is, is that on Sunday morning, and you may not have known this, you're not the primary target. God's the primary target. He's not just the primary target for me. He should be the primary target for you. We're not here trying to impress each other. I'm not here trying to impress you. We're here trying to get God's attention, trying to impress God, try to be with God, try to connect with God. We're trying to do whatever we can to be with him and him be with us. He's the audience and we're all coming to him. He's our primary focus. Listen carefully to what David Wells says. He writes so well. He says this, the marketing model for a church the marketing model of the church, meaning, you know, you're marketing towards the culture. That's your main target. Empties the truth out of the gospel. First, the needs consumers have are needs they identify for themselves. I'm hungry. I would like this. The needs sinners have are needs God identifies for us. And the way we see our needs is rather different from the way that God sees our needs. The product we will seek naturally will not be the gospel. Instead, it will be therapy or technique for life. Perhaps a way of correct, connecting more deeply with our own spiritual selves on our own terms. Terms that require no repentance and no redemption. It will not be the gospel. The gospel cannot be a product that the church sells because there are no consumers for it. See, if you are the culture or the target, then I just have to find out what your hunger is. I got to feed that hunger. 
as we'll see, that's a bad, bad place to start. Let's move on to the second characteristic of God's leadership. He must be a servant. First, he's got to really be in tune with the Lord and his word. Secondly, the way he acts that out must be like a servant. In chapter 1, if you saw this, Moses was referred to as a servant three times. And now Joshua is trans- transitioning into that role. He's, he's the role of a servant. In the New Testament, the word leader is used less than ten times. The word servant is used more than 1,000 times. John Wesley has a statue in his honor in London. John Wesley was five foot two and he preached over 40,000 sermons. So anytime I feel like I'm tired of preaching, I just think of Wesley. 40,000 in a lifetime. Rode horseback everywhere, delivered sermon after sermon. At 83, he became angry at his doctor because he wouldn't let him preach more than 14 times in one week. At 86, he wrote this in his journal, Wesley saying, laziness is slowly creeping in. There's an increasing tendency to stay in bed after 5.30 in the morning. I'd just like to be married to this person. On his statutes are these, on his statue are these words. Reader, if you feel constrained to praise the instrument, don't give God the glory. See, here, here's a man that's driving a movement. He's at the center of the column. And what he knows is everybody doesn't need to look at the instrument. Everybody needs to be looking at the Savior. That's the instrument of your salvation. Not me. I'm just like a a piece of pipe, a hose. I'm delivering something. No matter how powerful or dynamic the leader or speaker of the church is, the church is built on Jesus Christ. He's the foundation. It's not built on a pastor. It's not built on a group of elders. It's not built on a person in church history. It's not built on its founding members. It's not built on a vision or dream. It's not built on a confession. It's not built on a ministry style. It's built on Jesus Christ. And and if you get a quarter of an inch off of that in the next generation, you may not be on the pad at all. And the person that comes and takes the center of the column can't just be somebody who listens to God. He has to have a servant's heart. Secondly, God's word. So we have God's leadership. We need to make sure we understand that. We need to make sure we understand the importance of God's word. As I said, when you build a, when you build a fence, you have a plumb line, right? You know what this is? You, you tie a piece of chalk string to a nail and then you, you stretch it out. And then you sort of pop the string. So on the ground or concrete or whatever you're doing, you have this straight line. So anytime you come across uh, another tile or a piece of fence or whatever, you always know if you're straight because you just go back to this plumb line. And in the Bible is the plumb line for the, for, for the Christian faith. It's, it's how we know if we're, we're bent or straight. And so it's the thing that we're measuring ourselves against. And in our passage, Joshua is given a a verbal exhortation to to stay with God's word, to stay with the plumb line. And then he's given a a visual 
illustration of keeping with the word. So the verbal exhortation, chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, be strong and courageous. Be careful to do everything written in God's word. Don't turn from it, even a quarter of an inch. I'm inserting that to the right or to the left. The word of God shall not depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. So, so Joshua's entering into this, this, this land he's never been in before. He's entering into Israel, into, entering into Canaan. And there's going to be all kinds of offers from this world to be attractive to Joshua. All kinds of distractions to get off of God's word. And so he's, he, God's coming in and saying, Joshua, don't, don't move from the plumb line. Always keep your eyes on the word, not on the world. Joshua, always keep your eyes on the word, not on the world. If you know anything about flying a plane, when you learn how to fly, fly a plane, uh, the first sort of certification you get for flying a, a plane is called visual flight rating. So you get a visual flight rating, meaning I've learned how to operate a plane and I can operate a plane safely as long as I can see everything. So if I go up and I can see the horizon, I can see the ground, I can see the sky, I can see other things around me, I can operate a plane just fine. But then there's what's called a, a second license, and that's, a, that's an instrument flight rating. So now I'm not flying by what I see, I'm flying by the instruments. So, so no matter what I see, I'm always just looking at the instruments. The instruments are always the plumb line. The instruments are always telling me the truth. And the reason you need a a... a uh, an instrument flight rating is because sometimes it rains. Sometimes it's foggy. Sometimes you fly into a, cr- a cloud. And if you don't have an instrument flight rating, what happens, uh, and I've been told, is that the pilot, as you fly in the fog or you fly in the cloud, you, you now know, have, have no idea where you're going. Because you have no point on the horizon that you can look at. And pilots will say, you can fly upside down. You have no idea you're upside down. You can be flying straight into the ground and not realize it. You think, I'm just flying level? You come out of the cloud, boom, you're on the ground. So, so you, the, the hardest thing they say is to try to get a pilot to not trust his senses and to trust the panel. Trust the panel. Trust the panel. You see the connection. So easy just to say, I feel, I look out, I see, I, I have a, okay, we're not trusting that. We're not trusting that in you. We're not trusting that in me. We're trusting the instrument panel. We're always just going to come back and say, okay, here are the real gauges. This is what really tells us the truth because we could spend our entire lives flying upside down and we wouldn't know it. We might even defend our position. And you know this is exactly what Joshua is facing. Because you remember Joshua, he's with Moses all the way through. He comes with Moses across the Red Sea. He comes to, he comes through, uh, led by a pillar of fire and a cloud by night. He sees water come from rock. He sees manna come down from heaven. They get to the edge of the promised land. And Joshua and Caleb and ten other spies, remember they're sent into the promised land? They come back a couple of days later, a week later. They give a report. And what do ten of the twelve spies say? There are giants in this land. We couldn't possibly take the giants. 
And the people get afraid and they spend the rest of their their lives dying in the wilderness. And, And I want to say, and so do you as the reader. Come on, guys. You have been rescued from Egypt with no help of you. It's all of God. He did something miraculous against the most powerful nation in the world. He got you to the Red Sea. He moved you across the Red Sea. He went with you by pillar and cloud. He provided water. He provided food. And now you come to the edge of this promised land, and you're supposed to say, these people look big, but we have a bigger God. That's what you're supposed to say. But what did they say? I'm forgetting about looking at the instrument panel. I'm looking at the size of the people, and we got to turn around. I just want to say, come on. Until I see that in my own heart. Paul, I'm purposefully leading you into places you can not possibly succeed. That's the whole point. Because if I'm only leading you into places you can succeed, guess who gets big? You do. And I'm trying to make a great name for myself. And I've got to basically, Paul, get you out of the way. So you, you, you may be in an impossible situation. And God may be saying, this is where I'm putting you on purpose. Because I'm primarily not about you. I'm not not unconcerned about you. I'm just not primarily concerned about you. I'm primarily concerned about my name. And so Joshua needs this verbal exhortation to be strong and be courageous. Secondly, he gets this visual illustration. Just to, you know, it's like God's way of saying, just in case you guys don't get it, I, I need to make sure. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, is this great picture. You, guys, you're going to go across the, the Jordan River, so let's all get ready. The Levitical priests that are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, this place that's in the tabernacle, the seat of God, that's got the Ten Commandments in it. And we're going to walk across, and the priests are going to stand in the middle of the river, the river's going to drop, and you're going to come across. And I need to give you some instructions. When the priests go out, then you follow the priest. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to make sure you, you, you get 1,000 yards away from the, the, the God, God's seat, the Ten Commandments, God's Word. Why? Well, one, you've never been this way before, so you have no idea what you're, what you're doing. Secondly, I don't want anybody getting confused at who we're following. I mean, I don't want the, the Ark of the Covenant and then Joshua and then, you know, a couple other people. I, I, I need a big space so everybody knows it's God who we're following. It's God's word that's preeminent. You know why we read the scripture and then we have a moment of silence? For this reason. I want to solidify uh, visually for you. That God's word is way more preeminent than my word. So we're separating. We're creating space. So every time you come to church, no matter what I've said, you know God's word overrules. God's word is out in front. It's God's word that is first. 
Third thing, you've got to have the right leader, right character. You've got to have God's Word. And then you've got to have courage. You can't possibly miss it. It's said three times, be strong and courageous. I mean, as far as I know, Joshua is one of the most strong and courageous men in the whole Bible. And God is saying, hey, Joshua, be strong and courageous. So he must really be facing something that's going to be difficult. And we know one of the difficulties is these people are going to look like giants. You, your, your knees might knock together when you get across. So I don't want that. I want you to, I want you to trust in me. So be strong and courageous. But Joshua knows something else that every other leader knows. He might get shot from the front from enemies, and he might get shot from the back from his friends. Every leader knows this. Joshua knows it. Because 40 years he's been dealing with these people who keep saying, hey, let's go back, let's go back, let's go back. And so he's going to lead people in, and he's going to take arrows from the front and arrows from behind. And God wants to make sure Joshua understands when you're following God's word and you're getting arrows from the front and arrows from the behind, keep following God's word. My word is preeminent. And you have to have strength and courage because you're going to say things from this pulpit that people in the church and people in the culture are going to reject. And that's happening more and more quickly. So whatever the difficulty it might have been for me to say some things 14 years ago, it's a lot more difficult now in terms of the here. And so the person here has to have courage and strength. The elders have to have courage and strength to say not the courage of their convictions. Hear me say this. The courage of God's word. It's the thing that lasts forever. I love how it closes this picture, chapter 4, 19 through 24. This, they, they, they have this stone of help, the Ebenezer. So, because people are not going to remember. It seems like you couldn't possibly forget, but people are going to pass this way, and they're going to see, hey, how do these stones get stacked up? Because it's not no accident. And again, we want to say it, it's because of God. It's what he did for us. We're... We're here because of what God has done. And I want you to know that we are here 14 years later because of what God has done. (laughs) Thinking on my way into the very first service 14 years ago. Nancy's going down one hallway towards the nursery, which she did for three months in a row. You think one month a quarter is tough. And I don't remember who it was. A little child came by, and I was trying to be nice and say hello. And I stood up, and, and she went one way, and I went the other. And, I, and I, I knew I was in real trouble when I said this. I wish I was going to the nursery today. <laughs> so, so afraid. So ill-equipped. So thinking, I've got to lead a song solo. Never given a sermon before. Have no idea what I'm doing in leadership. Don't know if I've just stepped off a cliff. 
See, I met somebody new today this first, the first time they came. And they just, okay, this is what church, this church is. Yeah. I have a different feeling. And it's not anything because of what I've done. It's all because of God. The more I've gotten out of the way, the more he's done. Just like the, John, the smaller I get, what? He increases. And of course, we know, we know that, that Joshua is a servant. But there is a true servant, a true Joshua, who comes down. That's Christ. We know that Joshua is uh, giving and following the word, but we know that Jesus is the word. And now we don't look at a stone, a marker of help. What do we look at? We look at the cross. How did you get here? I got here because of Jesus. After I delivered that sermon 14 years ago, there were, I don't know, this was the, the eight weeks in. So maybe 50 people came. I don't remember how many. And we're in a little, the little chapel over there at Temple Baptist and... Uh, you, to become a member that day, you just had to come and get free barbecue. That was it. So a lot of you have been through the inquirers class Go, oh, that church history diagram. I wish I could have just had a barbecue sandwich and I was in. <clears throat> but after the serm- sermon, you know, you're looking for, just I want you to know if you want to give correction to me, you should feel free. Just not right after the sermon. So I'm standing somewhere and a non, nope, no members yet, but Kenny Smith, he's sitting over here. Uh, Pastor Paul, that, you know, that sounds good, but we'll see if you can keep it up. I'm like, you know, there's some other churches in town, Mr. Smith, that are really looking for help. So Kenny, we're 14 years in. No, nobody's happier that it's going well than Kenny Smith. Because Kenny wanted desperately the same thing that I wanted. And, and the reason the church got off the pad was because there were enough people like us who said, you know, there's a lot of other shows in town. We have to have the word of God. If we do not have that, we cannot go forward. So my prayer for myself, for my prayer for you all. 28 years from now, 56 years from now, 112 years from now, somebody's going to say something like this and say, this is how the church moves forward. Doesn't change. Let's pray together.